0: We that will, but what about representing LBC? and we, we run to the party, and still don't get big
1: take this Jump on the ump. Season 5, Week 32. Welcome to the B Block. This is ostensibly a baseball podcast coming at you from Champaign, Illinois. My name is Joel. With me today, as per usual, is Sam. Sam,
0: how's it going? Hey, Joel, I'm doing good. I'm coming at you live uh, from Southampton. Uh, the land of daily saunas.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's got a sauna in their apartment, apparently. Yeah,
0: everyone just has a asana in their bedroom.
1: Yeah, apparently. that's cool. <laughs> um, So this is the B-Block. So uh, two weeks ago, we tried this out Four little B-Block. We turned it into the B-Block Book Club. And actually, we got quite a few listens to that episode. So we're going to try it again. Two weeks ago, we talked about the book The Pitcher and the Dictator, about Satchel Paige's uh, career, or not career, season, playing in the Dominican Republic in the 1930s, so check that out. Today, we're going to do B-Block Book Club that Sam is reading. All The Catcher Was a Spy, all about Mo Berg. So, Sam, take it away. Tell us about this book that you've been reading.
0: Yeah, it's called uh, The Catcher Was a Spy, um, and it was written by Nicholas, Nicholas uh, Nick The Catcher Was a Spy, The Mysterious Life of Moe Burke, written by Nicholas Dwidoff, and it's pretty good. Uh, I'm like three-quarters of the way done. <clears throat> and the book is pretty good. The guy's a pretty well, you know, good writer. It's pretty engaging and easy to read. Uh, not a lot of grammatical errors. You know, uh, yeah, that's good. And but the story is fucking ridiculous. Like this guy, Mo Berg, was such a weirdo and just like <laughs> <clears throat> so I've read I'm almost I'm, I'm like three quarters, oh, you're breaking up again. I feel like can you hear me? I can hear you now. OK,
1: you're three quarters of the way through and right.
0: right. And it's just, it keeps getting weirder. Like everything, it just is like, it, it doesn't stop getting weird. And this, <laughs> this book was made into a movie by, uh, by Paul Rudd starring as Mo Berg. I don't know if he actually made the movie, but he played, and I saw the movie, uh, which, made me one about, which is the reason I bought the book. But the uh-huh. book, movie wasn't very good. Uh-huh. Like, it was pretty. It was pretty bad, and like didn't do a very good job of like portraying how fucking strange this guy was. Right. Like, Paul Rudd is just too like likable and charming to like be a fucking weirdo, you know?
1: Right. Well, and he looks nothing like uh, Mo Bug. I was looking at Pink Bug. He looks like the guy from Godfather. Who's the the hitman from Godfather who dies in the very end? You know who I'm talking about? The tall guy with big bushy eyebrows. He's also in um uh what's the the look uh, who's talking?
0: Fabio or
1: no, or it's not Fabio. Silvio. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Boog, he looks really tall. He's got big, bushy eyebrows, like he and it, like dark eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh,
0: he's got he's got the unibrow.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total unibrow. <clears throat> okay, so uh, tell me about his like childhood because he was basically a child genius, right? Well, he was a genius, but like a right. child prodigy. Well, this is this.
0: This is it's like the whole thing is very interesting because it's kind of like his entire life was like centered around secrecy for some reason. And he kind of um, had like created wherever he went um, in, in, like they have played into the fact that he was uh, Jewish and he kind of always lived in like the Gentile world. So I think that like a lot of about himself, he kept to himself starting as a child. Um when he was, like, extremely successful in school, yes, but also, like, a very good baseball player.
1: Yeah. Abe so, Bogoda That's who I was thinking of. He looks like you, Abe uh, Bagoda.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Um, so he grows up in New Jersey, and he goes to all these Ivy League Who, who was he? And are the, you going to tell the story of this? Are you, I just read the Wikipedia page. The book that I'm
0: reading?
1: No, I just read the Wikipedia page. Also, you keep breaking up.
0: (laughs) I don't know why. I have full bars here.
1: Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. We're having some technical difficulties right now. Well, okay. So. So, Okay, talk about going to college. Right.
0: So, he grew up in Newark, New Jersey. Children of immigrants. Fell in love with baseball. His father was a Jewish immigrant who, you know, basically renounced his faith, or he was like really obsessed with the American way. Oh, interesting. So he owned a pharmacy, really into academia and like the the idea the, the American bring your life. To make something of himself. Of so he like really pushed education on all his children. He wasn't so big on baseball. Um, Moburg loved baseball. Um, and he was a gifted student. He got accepted to Princeton. Uh, no, he went to NYU for a semester, got really good grades, and then was accepted to Princeton. And <clears throat> uh, was a Princeton man, played Princeton, played shortstop for the Princeton baseball team. Um, and studied, he was a linguistics uh, scholar, so he studied languages, um, and he spoke uh, French and German um, mostly, but he also studied Italian and Spanish um, and Russian. Um, Until he was a linguistics scholar, he played baseball, he was a really talented shortstop um and got noticed by a scout who was coming up to check out a pitcher actually, and for Princeton and the and the scouting report came back and was like the pitcher is not that great but the shortstop is really good um and he kind of made a career for himself well I'm getting ahead of myself
1: so no, yeah yeah slow down how because I'm curious because he's going to Princeton and he's studying linguistics yeah so. But it is lo- his love is baseball.
0: Right. Well, it's kind of it's kinda yeah. unclear because okay. he also loves studying. Like uh, they have a lot of – like a lot of the – what they have for this book, a lot of the material is letters that he has written to people over the years. Okay. Um, and so like he wrote a lot of letters home to his family from college and it was mostly about like academia and then like a little bit about baseball. But he always was, like, very – and, like, kind of, I think, started at Princeton of being very secretive. Because Princeton is, like – he never, like, denied that he was Jewish. But Princeton Uh, was, like, very much anti-Jew. Like, like, very anti-Semitic student body and, to a certain extent, faculty as well. So, like, you know, the entire social scene of Princeton was based around – social clubs and dining clubs, which kind of, you know, probably were, like, the fraternities of the day or whatever. And, like, he wasn't eligible to join any of those because he was Jewish. And so he was kind of, like, kept to himself. And his only kind of social um, outlet was the baseball team where – That's interesting. (laughs) Where he, and, like, throughout his life wrote a lot, many times about how baseball is, like, a great equalizer because when you're on the field everybody is like based it's like just based on the your skill and your ability uh, and that's it
1: yeah i started reading i didn't finish one of his essays that he wrote about baseball and philosophy and it was called pitchers and catchers i read yeah. about half of it it was really interesting
0: yeah, that's, like, his actually most famous piece of written work. He was not a writer. Like, uh-huh. he was asked to write a lot of things a number of times and was, like, unable to. Uh-huh.
1: Um,
0: and and, and was, he, was like, just,
1: he was just socially awkward in addition,
0: right? No. Oh. He was very socially uh, – he was very good socially. Oh, okay. But he was just, like – Everybody liked him, but he didn't have any friends, kind of. That's interesting. Uh, and he always kind of set – he, like, intentionally placed himself apart, uh, uh-huh. and which I'll get into once we start talking about his baseball career. Yeah. Uh, but so he um, – but he was really good in school. He, like, tutored the other kids on the baseball team. Uh, he graduated maybe top of his class or near the top of his class in Princeton. Um, and then he was drafted by the Brooklyn, one of the Brooklyn Robins, I think.
1: Yeah, the Brooklyn Robins. Yeah.
0: And it was, uh, in large part, a diversity hire actually, because the owner of the Robins was trying to tap into, the large Jewish population of Brooklyn. Uh-huh. They didn't have any Jewish players. So interesting. they drafted Mo Berg to try to like draw more Jewish fans to the stands.
1: I think that's so interesting. I mean, this is the 1920s. So there's still racial segregation in baseball, but also that they realized, at least on some level, hey, we need to diversify our team. At least we need Jewish players to get the Jewish
0: audience. Right. Yeah. It's, you know, money is money. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And baseball is a business. Yeah. Um. And so he, he played for the Robins, but they had another shortstop. He didn't play much. He sat on the bench a lot. Um. And he kind of throughout his entire major league baseball career never really learn like he never became a good, good hitter
1: he never uh, became a good hitter
0: good fielder he never became a good hitter yeah and uh-huh. then he was drafted as a shortstop and had he stayed at the shortstop position his career would have been over probably in 5 years uh-huh so he played a season for the rock or to chicago i believe and he played in for the white chicago Shots. Yeah, I'll go for he but also during this time enrolled in law school. So he in the early part of his baseball playing career viewed baseball as a summer job to like put him through law school. Okay, which is a weird
1: thing to think about. But in, in today's in today's context, at least, was that more common in the 20s, or is that actually unique for this guy, for Mo Berg?
0: I think that it was not common in the 20s either. Okay. I think it was probably more common. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I think that in those days, lo- lawyering paid considerably more than baseball. Right. Um, which maybe is not the case today. But
1: right. Well, and he wasn't, he also was not like an all star. Right. Like, he's kind of like a journeyman. Yeah, yep. A quick question. The Brooklyn Robins, do you know what franchise they became or are now, or did they just stop?
0: Uh, I don't know.
1: Yeah, let me check that. I'm curious about that. Okay, so he's playing for the White Sox. It's late 20s now, and he's also going to law school. Uh, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. So he's going to law school in Columbia. Did it talk about him having to go back and forth Oh, they became the Brooklyn Dodgers. Did talk about him having to go back and forth between Chicago and New York?
0: Uh, yeah. So he had to uh, – he had to – the first year he was in law school, he missed spring training um, to go to law school. Okay. Um, and showed up like in June – you know, after the season and started to the White Sox to join the team. And he never really played much that year. And then Kaminsky, the owner of the White Sox, right? Isn't that his yeah. name? Yeah. He like contacted the law school and got Moberg a special, um, like scenario where he didn't have to, where he got to do all of his, like a year's worth of law school in like a semester and a half, basically. Okay. So that he could play major league baseball. Um, and that didn't go very well for Moberg. He actually failed a class that year that he had to uh. – and, like, and he graduated late um, because of it. Because uh, law school back in those days was either two or three years. I can't remember. Okay. But he had to go for an extra semester to retake this one class that he failed in that first year where he was doing a shortened schedule. Um, And he, uh, but I think that also this is kind of where he started to develop the allure of baseball. And it was like all had to do with like his kind of inclination to keep his private life private. Interesting. He's a very secretive person, and what he really loved about playing baseball is, like, two baseball players, he was, like, an academic. I mean, he was an academic, but he was, like, you know, most baseball players weren't, so they called him Professor Berg, and, like, he was, like, the smart one, and he had, like, like, two trunks when he traveled, and everyone traveled with one trunk, but he had a second trunk just for books and, like... He was kind of this, like, weird eccentric ball player, but then when he left the ballpark, like, a lot of the people that he interacted with were either sports writers or other academics or people in entertainment that were not, uh, you know, not ball players, and to them, he was a baseball player. Interesting. Interesting. And, and therefore didn't really fit in in that world either because he was an athlete and they were either academics or writers or, you know, actors or whatever. Right. and So he was able to, like, keep himself separate that way also. Um,
1: uh, question. So when he's playing for the White Sox, he's like 28, uh, 29. Was he was their age? Uh, like, was he? considerably older than the other players at this time
0: no not at that point okay uh, when he when he played for the red Sox, i think he spent most of his career with the red Sox, uh-huh. um, and he became an older kind of mentor uh, basically like he made a transition to catcher in chicago uh-huh. uh, which elongated his career um because he was a pretty good catcher, and like if you're a good catcher, you don't really have to hit. And he uh-huh. he was actually an exceptional catcher, and a lot of there were a couple of Hall of Fame pitchers, both in Chicago and in Boston, who like requested only to pitch to him. Um, Interesting. So like, he was a really good game caller. Like was Sandy
1: really good- Leon. Well, not Sandy Leon. Um, who's your catcher now? Who's really bad at hitting
0: Sandy Leon, yeah
1: yeah Sandy Leon,
0: right or that guy for the Cubs and also for the Red Sox who caught John Lester and when John Lester went to the Cubs the Cubs also hired him to catch Uh for John Lester Uh uh-huh I can't remember his name yeah but anyway he was this guy who knew a lot about baseball he played good defensive catcher he had a really strong throwing arm um Uh And and the pitchers liked him. And when you when you can do that, you don't really have to hit. I think it was a career like 230 hitter, or 240 hitter or something not, like that. Not great. Um, not great. And so we had a couple good seasons um, and he bounced around. I think he played in Kansas City for a year, maybe. Um, and he got traded for to the Red Sox and it was in Chicago started. But like when he went, I think moved to Boston is where the character Mo Berg, like the character professor Berg. Okay. Created. Okay. And so he, this is really interesting. He was friends with a lot of the sports writers um, Uh because they were academics also or whatever. And the, actually the first, like uh, what's bylined uh, national? The first bylined weekly column in any newspaper ever was a sports column by this guy. I can't remember his name. I'll look. It is up. it Boston? I think this is New York, New York okay. Times. Okay. Um, and uh, this guy really liked Mo Berg, and when the sports news was would slow. Like, he would just write these stories that were, like, either completely or partially fictional about, oh, I ran into Mo Berg in Chinatown, and he was, like, speaking Chinese to, like, all these <laughs> Chinese people, you know what I mean? And uh-huh. it was, like – and and created this kind of, like, this myth of this guy and uh-huh. called him Professor Berg. It's, like, you know, I was walking past the library and Mo Berg, like, was, got in a fist fight with the librarian or something <laughs> like that, you know? <laughs> and and so he became this like major celebrity, like that transcended sports because right. he was kind of this oddball, uh, you know, genius. Yeah, who spoke all of these languages.
1: That's really interesting. Uh, talk a little bit more about that character. I mean, I'm, and, and it talks on the Wikipedia page a lot about his traveling. And going right. to all these different countries, you know, touring with baseball teams, but also it seems like he would just – would he just, like, take off and travel?
0: Yeah, well, he went twice to Japan as, like, a emissary from Major League Baseball, uh-huh. if that makes any sense. So he yeah. go uh, – the first time, I can't remember who he went with, but the second time he went with Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig uh, as, like – and they went went and uh, the first time he went with two other guys and they just like ran a baseball camp I think in Tokyo.
1: Yeah. Um, Why and- did he get to go? Because that sounds to me like we would send like Mike Trout and Mookie Betts and the third guy Wellington Castillo. Right.
0: To, like- Sandy Leon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think that like he. You know, going to Japan in the 1920s was a completely different ball game uh-huh. than going to Japan now. Sure. Um, like, you know, you had to go on a boat. Okay. Because uh, <clears throat> I think that, you know, what, the Spirit of St. Louis was 1928, and that was the Atlantic Ocean, and uh-huh. that was a one-man plane, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so it was like trans-, you know, continental- uh, airplanes weren't a thing so it's not like everyone wanted to go to japan i think he wanted to go also right. he was he was a catcher um, right and so they like brought him along to work with pitchers and catchers um and then also he was a linguist so he he didn't speak japanese but he like learned some enough japanese to like be helpful
1: um, that's cool and yeah. it says also I, I really – we should find a book about the history of baseball in Japan because baseball is huge in Japan now. Yeah. and, and But at this time, it's still imperial Japan. Like they're right. still kind of this – they're not westernized like they are now. Right. Um. It's also mentioned on his Wikipedia page that he went around Tokyo taking pictures.
0: Yeah, he was like an avid um, photographer and also – Uh, He was really into video footage kind of early on. And this uh, was something that played in later in his career as a, as a spy was that when he was in Japan, both times he traveled around a lot to uh, take pictures. And this one like famous video clip that he took um, he, so there was a law in Tokyo that, no building could be taller than the royal palace or whatever that right, right. was up on this hill. And so the tallest building in Tokyo was this uh, like Christian hospital that was six stories. And he like broke in. He dressed up in a kimono, broke into the hospital, <clears throat> took the uh, went up to the roof and videotaped Tokyo's. Uh, this was, I guess, in the 30s. He videotaped Tokyo's uh, harbor. Uh,
1: 1934, and,
0: yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he videotaped the harbor, which he then which was then footage that was used for military intelligence later.
1: That's real but, funny. I'm picturing like because he was super tall, wasn't he? 62, I think. Yeah, there's like six2 white Jewish guy. With a up, you know?
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. and nobody's like hey like all the Japanese people nobody's like hey what's that giant white guy doing? right
0: <laughs> well he uh he loved he loved Japan he like like wrote about it he only went the two times for baseball but he wrote about it for his like in his letters and everything and all of his stories he'd tell for the rest of his life uh-huh. um And both times he was in Japan, rather than going back on the boat with the other players, he went west. Okay. Um, So, after Princeton, he had studied for a year in France, in Paris, and he loved it. Uh
1: Uh-huh.
0: And he – so, he basically traveled both times from Japan to um, Europe, over land, basically. Uh Uh-huh. and one time he went south through Korea and Southeast Asia and then um, China and the Middle East. And then one time he went north and took the Trans-Siberian Railroad through Russia. And oh, he was okay. arrested in Russia multiple times for taking pictures.
1: Um, um, and this is like Soviet. This is uh, before Stalin
0: probably, but right the Soviet Union. And also what's interesting is the first time he went to Japan uh japan and the west were not kind of it wasn't like the build-up to world war ii the second time we went there was like a huge propaganda machine in japan talking about how the west was evil and trying to like ruin the japanese way of life
1: interesting
0: so which we um, then did right which we definitely did (laughs) yeah um (laughs) In which Moberg had a had a part in, which we'll find out probably not this week. But yeah,
1: we're will running a little short on time. But um, I wanted the this is really cool. Do you want to talk about his time with the Red Sox, or do you want to talk about his time on the game show? Because I want oh, to
0: know well, those are both. I'd like to get up to the end of his baseball. Career, okay, which we right. can do which yeah. we can do fast. Yeah. Um. So he. Uh yeah so he played the, his longest tenure was for the Red Sox. He played also for the Washington Senators and met this guy who was a player manager played shortstop for the Washington Senators whose name do you have that are you looking at the Wikipedia page? Uh, yeah but I don't know where you at. Who it's like that? last name starts with a K it's like Joe Cronin or something like that. Anyway, uh, it was <laughs> He was the manager for the Senators, and then he got a job where his father-in-law was the owner. And I think that he lost that job and then got a job managing the Red Sox, and he hired Mo Berg, where Mo Berg spent the rest of his
1: Clark Griffith.
0: Yeah. Okay. Right.
1: Owner of the Washington Senators.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, no, not him. The player. The player coach
1: the player coach of the Senators
0: and the Red Sox. He became okay. a manager for the Red Sox. I don't Berg, know. Keep good friend, good friend of Mo Berg hired him to play in Boston where he spent most of his career and where he developed his newspaper addiction. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Talk about that. He lived in a hotel. He read up to 15 newspapers a day in a right. number of different languages. Um, so he'd buy all of the major national newspapers, a couple local Boston newspapers, and then the international papers, too. And he would just sit and drink coffee, presumably, at this cafe and read newspapers. And he loved the baseball lifestyle because he basically got to travel all the time. He only worked three months a year, and <clears throat> he only worked like three hours a day, where he often did. And he usually didn't play when he was in Boston. Right. So... He got to go and like shoot the shit with the guys in the bullpen, um, and and then he had his days free. He traveled all summer, and then in the winter was he could do whatever he wanted. So it really facilitated the kind of lifestyle that he loved, which was reading newspapers all day. He bathed uh, minimum two times a day. He liked to take three or four baths a day. Oh, that's uh, weird. He wore this exact same outfit. He was like. He had a closet full of gray suits, black shoes, <laughs> black ties, white shirts, and that was all that he ever wore for
1: his I entire life. I'm picturing like Charlie Brown's, you know, closet that's a whole yeah. closet with just the same striped shirt in it. Yeah. Again.
0: Well, do you do you ever watch that show Monk?
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: It's like, it's like that guy is what it sounds like. He's like, do you think exec-
1: he had like obsessive compulsive disorder or something? Maybe. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cause he also like, in going back to the newspapers, like he, <clears throat> if he hadn't finished reading a newspaper, um, if he finished reading a newspaper, he'd just throw it on the ground wherever he was. <laughs> and he called it dead. But if it was still alive, meaning he hadn't read it all yet, Uh then he would, like, he wouldn't let it go. And he would get backed up on newspapers, and sometimes he'd be traveling city to city with an entire, like, traveling trunk full of newspapers he hadn't read yet.
1: Would the other baseball players ever mess with him
0: about his newspapers? No, everyone liked him pretty well, but he was, like, very much a weirdo, and they, like, accepted that. You know, there's a lot of, like, eccentricities in Major League Baseball. That's one of the things that he liked is that, like, everyone was like, oh, that's Professor Moe. He's a fucking weirdo, but, like, whatever, you know, he's on the team, you know? Uh Um, (laughs) And what about,
1: like, the baseball culture at the time? Because, I mean, was he drinking? Was he
0: going to pool houses? Was he he know. didn't really drink. He was a he was a huge gourmand. Oh, interesting. Yeah, he was really into like really expensive, fancy food. Oh. Um, and he didn't socialize with his teammates too much after work. But like, he was friends with a couple of them, and they would like go out and have like really ex- extreme dinners.
1: Uh uh-huh. So he uh-huh. he like, and that's really interesting. And that's part of his the professor. Yeah. Uh, like everything's yeah. got fancy and and yeah. hype. And, that well, probably- and also
0: like it was a thing if mo invited you out to dinner it was like uh, that was like a thing on the team it's like oh shit i got invited that's so sweet i'm gonna go out and like he was very generous he like would pay for everything he wasn't you know <clears throat> he was a social and everyone liked him um but he just was like no one knew anything about him like you know, uh, he one one's anecdote of a player is like he ran into Mo Berg on the street and Mo like had this beautiful young woman on his arm and but pretended that he didn't know the baseball player. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and and like they and then he never talked about it with the guy. And I right. was like, I never asked him because like you just didn't ask Mo those. sorts <laughs> of questions, You know, I feel mean,
1: like. That's happened to me before when I see someone. Like, when you see someone you know out of context, Like right. see a work friend on the street, and maybe they're dressed really weirdly for some reason. I don't know. I'm trying to think yeah. of, of
0: a situation.
1: You're like, have you ever, you know, like if they're cosplaying or something. Right. Like you
0: see him <laughs> on the subway, and they're, like, in full brony attire. Dra-
1: dressed like Batman on the yeah. sub-
0: He's like, okay, I'm not going to ask about this at
1: work on Monday.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, okay, I got it. Okay, so when did he he, uh, retire from baseball?
0: He retired from baseball at the beginning of World War II in the late 30s. Um, No, and he had, like, so he retired as a player and transitioned into coach for the Red Sox. Um, and he kind of been serving as like the bullpen coach already because uh-huh. uh, he just he like stayed on the bullpen and just hung out with the people and like warmed catcher pitchers up. And so he became the bullpen coach for the Red Sox and he didn't like it very much. Um, Interesting. He, liked, he liked the kind of prestige of being a ball player, you know,
1: more uh, than actual. Oh, OK. He didn't want to be a coach.
0: No, and he didn't really want to be a baseball player either. He just wanted that lifestyle, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, he stopped being – he started being a coach and they kind of stopped writing about him in the newspaper because, like, people don't really care about coaches as much. And he didn't like that. Um,
1: he liked being in the press. He liked the guy who made up weird stories right. about Running into Mo Bug.
0: Well, it wasn't just the him. Bat. It was like he was a national phenomenon as this character, Professor Mo. That's really interesting. Right, and be like, oh, Professor Mo's in town with the Red Sox playing, you know, whatever the the Yankees, and I ran into him giving a lecture at NYU or something like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he was a he was a national. You know in Kansas City, he was like you know was like consulting with some you know whatever it's like all this fake shit, but it was like everywhere he went he was a character in the newspaper for being this like smart guy, yeah, that's cool all
1: right yeah. so so he he eventually mm-hmm. retires uh with the Red Sox he doesn't like being a a catcher uh, i mean a coach or a bullpen coach right so so we'll we'll have to talk about this. So next week we'll talk about this more and um, he starts working for the US government. Right.
0: For the OSS, the previous
1: CIA. And is he gonna go he's gonna go to Europe and spy on Nazis? Right. Cool. All right. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is the first part of Moeburg. The book is called The Catcher Was a Spy. Who's the author, do you know? Yeah, Nicholas Dwidoff. Dwidoff, how do you spell that?
0: Uh, hold on, I'm pulling it up
1: now. I had it earlier.
0: Hold on. Uh, D-W-I-D-O-F-F. Cool.
1: Dwidoff. Dwidoff. Um, The Catcher Was a Spy, we'll talk about it again next week, the second half, next week. Cool. I think this is good. I'm excited. I'm trying to think if there's anybody in sports today (laughs) with that kind of persona. I mean, it's almost like proto-social media. We talk a lot in this podcast of uh, athletes having to cultivate their own personas through their social media. uh, Right. Platforms.
0: and Moberg was a master of that
1: yeah, that's really cool
0: it's funny at the very beginning of the book it's just a bunch of stories about I guess these people that he interviewed for the book who uh-huh. are just he Moberg to this day has like a large number of people who are fucking obsessed with him interesting because so, <clears throat> he's just such a weirdo, including the curator of the uh, Langley CIA Museum. <laughs> So in the OSS section, there's, like, all this, like, memorabilia from the OSS, and there's, like, three or four Moberg, signed Moberg baseball cards.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. All, yeah. these,
1: all these CIA spies were obsessed with Moberg. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> uh, well, right.
0: he was, like, as unsuccessful of, as, I mean, as poor of a baseball player as he was. He was an incredible spy. So we'll get
1: into that. We'll get into that next time. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the catcher was a spy. Thank you so much for listening to us. You can check us out on Apple iTunes. If you do, please give us a rating and a review and click that subscribe button. You can also listen to us on either SoundCloud or Spotify and check us out on all your social media platforms at Dump on the... on Twitter... Facebook and Instagram. For Sam, my name is Joel. Thank you so much for listening to us. Have a good afternoon because it's afternoon where I am right now and a pleasant tomorrow. One
0: evening as the sun was. Went- just went back to the old <laughs> <book>. I accidentally <laughs> closed
1: it And I then I just reopened and it And this is what was playing I was <laughs> like yeah I like this song <laughs> <laughs> uh, Professionalism <Yep. laughs>